Guys, so nice to see you. Can we get the back lights on so everybody can see? Uh, again, just for those of you who are new, oh, what's the pen for, Ryan? It's to write with. Okay, that's all you got to use it for. If you want it, feel free. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And tonight, what we're going to do is we are going to look through, you know the story? It's the Sunday school, like, greatest, one of the greatest hits. It's, like, right there with, like, Zacchaeus and all these other guys. The one where uh, the guy is paralyzed from the shoulders down and his buddies tear the roof off the house, right, and they lower him down through the roof. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, I've talked on this text before. We did it at our Murchies FCA a few weeks ago, and then at Unity's Chapel last week. Um, But the more I think through it and the more I look at it, it really just kind of sums up the heart and vision for our ministry. And that's part of why we're all together tonight, because I want to get this as kind of a blanket statement out to everybody. Um, So if you have a Bible, turn or swipe to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'll be glad to get you one. So just let us know. Um, Can you guys hear me okay? Sound okay in the back? Reagan, trailer, you guys all right? Okay, good. Emily, good. All right. Um, I feel like I've been blasting you guys for like the last week, so we figured that out. Okay, Mark chapter 2, there's only five verses. So if you can't pay attention to this one, I props to you a little bit. I'm actually kind of proud of you. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them in the house. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let the man down on a pallet on which the the paralytic was lying. Verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Um, There are four things that we need to take away from this passage. Um, there's plenty more in there, but especially four things that we need to take away from this passage. Number one, um, if you are a follower of Christ, right? So look up at me. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you are now living on mission, all right? That's the first thing. If you are a follower of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're kind of on the fence, or you're just kind of here because there's food, and I don't blame you, that's fine, but if you're just kind of here to be here, um, this is what you need to start looking for and expecting from Christians. This is how we're supposed to act according to the Bible, and Lord willing, hopefully one day, if you become a Christian, which, which by the way is not just saying you're one, it's, it's acting this out, um, being taken in by Jesus' love. If that happens in your life, this is what will begin to happen. So first point is you're living on mission, and we get this from verse 3. So look at verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. Okay, Begin to work this into your life. Begin to work this into your heart. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there should no longer be people in your life who are just there. There should no longer be people in your life, at your lunch table, on your team, in your band, who are just there with you. If you're a Christian, there's no longer such thing as casual friendships. If you're a Christian, there's no longer such thing as casual dating, which we just got done talking about. And and this is what I mean that it's no longer casual. 
Imagine that everyone in your life, including the people you are on the fringes, the people that you casually know, everyone in your life has cancer. And you, all of a sudden, have the cure for it. It's just a pill, and two hours later, you're cancer-free. You see how all of a sudden, your casual friendship with that person has changed? It's no longer just a casual friendship, because you now have something that can save their life. That cha- it's not just casual anymore. Like if they're hanging from a cliff, you're not just going to casually, hey, it's not, a, it's not like a, a casual thing anymore. The dynamic has changed because you are now able to give them something that will save their life. As a Christian, your life is on mission. What is that mission? As a Christian, you live on mission, and that mission is to, number one, grow closer to God, And number two, draw others closer to God. Your job is to to draw closer to God, but also to draw others closer to God. It can't be, it's not casual if that's what you're doing. And you draw others closer to Him through two things, your actions and your words, okay? Now, here's where maybe I start to get in trouble a little bit. Raise your hand, and some of you may have heard it, and maybe you haven't, in which case it'll be me for a minute, and it'll be weird, and we'll get over it. How many of you in your life have heard, I think most of you have, how many in your life have heard the phrase, just raise your hand, if you've heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that before, raise your hand? Literally? Okay. So like three. That's fine. Well, it's out there, right? There's this phrase that's going around in Christianity right now, and, and, the, and it's, it's an old kind of slogan, and it's like this. Preach the gospel, but if necessary, use words. Okay, I get where they're coming from. I get why that's a good saying and why it makes sense. Their point is, don't, don't, it doesn't just need to be talk, right? Your Christian life doesn't need to just be talk. It needs to be action, too. You've got to live this out, Let it be through your actions that people see what you believe. And I understand that. Here's where that statement becomes problematic. Live it out. Okay, you can give out all the bowls of soup that you want. You can give out all the warm blankets on a cold day that you want. And that's good. You need to do that all the time. It's awesome. Blankets are great. we got like 50 of them in our wedding shower. So if you need one, holler at your boy, because I have more than I will ever. It doesn't matter. Um... But like, those things are awesome. Doing good things is awesome. But when someone asks you why you're doing what you're doing, you can't just give them, like if they ask you why you're giving them a bowl of soup, you can't just give them another bowl of soup to explain the first one. You have to tell them why you're doing it. And you tell them why using your what? Your words. Someone always says, someone's always like, mouth. You, with your, with your it, like every time. But you do it, yeah. You explain why with your words. You see, it's, it's just like John Piper says. Listen, there is no gospel without words. There is no gospel without words. And so maybe your immediate pushback might be, well, Ryan, Jesus didn't save us with words. He used his actions. He died on the cross. That's an action. Those aren't words. And listen, you're right. That is the gospel. But let me ask you, how do you know that? And I agree with you, so how do I know about that? 
Because someone told it to me. Because someone used their words. Someone got the gospel to me through their words. And I think sometimes as Christians, like when you hear that subconsciously, you might use it as an excuse. Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. And you might use that to say, oh good, I don't have to actually say anything. I don't have to actually make somebody uncomfortable with this. I don't have to actually go there with them while we're eating lunch together. I can just act it out. You see, you've kind of used it as an excuse. Here's what, here's what it needs to be like with you as a Christian. How many of you have been to the air show? Raise your hands. It's like 50 of you. Okay, uh, don't, t- don't hold it against me. It's just not really my thing, okay? It's just, oh, they flew in a circle again. It's not really, I, don't, I can't, it just didn't get me going. I'm sorry. But have you ever, so you know these, there's this crew called the Blue Angels. You know what I'm talking about, some of you? They're, there's this like fighter jet team, and they just fly in tandem all the time. You got one guy or girl up here, and then you have one guy or girl back here, and they're just, they're in sync the whole time. Look at me. Look right at me. As a Christian, that's what your life should be like. Your words should be right here, leading the way. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is who saved my life, and he can save yours too. And your actions right here. And they should be in tandem all the time, one backing the other up, one directly supporting the other, right in step all the time. Because if you land that plane of words, and it's just action, they're never going to understand why you're doing what you do. You're just going to be the guy that gives the soup away. And you're just, that's it. That's all you'll be. And they'll never understand why. But if you land that action plane and you're just words, it's just talk, 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 no one's going to listen to you because you're a hypocrite. Because all you do is speak and you don't back this up with actions. As a Christian, your words and actions need to be in tandem, following each other, drawing people closer to God with your actions and your words. These guys knew So they lowered him in. They brought him in on a pallet. These guys knew who Jesus was, which means they no longer just casually knew someone who was paralyzed. And the reason it's no longer casual, they don't just casually know a paralyzed guy and casually know Jesus. They know a paralyzed guy and they know someone who can do something about it. You or your friends, you know people who are lost. You know people who don't know who Jesus is, but you also know someone who could do something about that. And so it's no longer just a casual thing because we do this as Christians. We just, you casually have these friends on your team or in your family or whatever, and you just casually know who Jesus is. And those two groups never come together. That's not how these guys lived, and that's not how we should live either. You follow me on this? Does that make sense? So, Let's talk about that. So you want your friends to know Jesus. How do you get them to hear it? How do you get them there? Through number through, through our second one, use whatever means you can to get them there. As long as it's legal. You don't have to write that part. Use whatever means you can to How do you get them to church? How do you get them to hear about Jesus? Use whatever means you can. And we get this obviously from verse 4, which contains one of the best sentences in the entire Bible. Look at verse 4. This is ridiculous. Being unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd, here it is, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let him down on a pallet on which he was lying. Can we just kind of, for a second, because we like hear this 
like in small group or whatever, and we're like, mm, amen. Let's listen to Reckless Love again. They cut a hole in the roof. They literally removed the roof above this guy. They cut a hole in the roof. And so, and this is the thing. Um, in the same way, you don't need to do property damage, but in the same way, thank you, Lauren, you need to use whatever means you can. Follow me. Whatever means you can to get these people that you know in front of Jesus. To get people to Jesus. Let's, let's do a little list. And I, I need some amen. Food is awesome. Amen? amen. Yeah. Wow, it's powerful. L- food is awesome. Um, Barry College does a thing called Lunch Encounter. Where they, and Christian's always like, is it a lunch encounter? Or is it a lunch encounter? Or why is the counter so important? And so, there's this thing called lunch encounter. Name is, the name is what it is. But like, a church comes and brings food. And the pastor of the church gets to speak. And the college students just invite them, hey, there's free food. And college students don't ever, college students rarely ever turn that down. Even if it's like a little dangerous, they're still going to lean into that and go for it. And so, they'll come and eat food. Um, the Passion Conference, right? Yeah, the Passion Conference is this awesome thing. Um, it's mostly college students, but we let seniors in high school go because we're awesome. Confluence is another conference that college students go to. Now for you guys, Winter Jam was off the chain this year. Collide is great. Summer Camp, Wind Shape, Movie Nights, Small Groups, all these things are awesome. These things are not bad. Don't bash these things. But you've got to, follow me, bring it back, look at me. You've got to keep it in perspective. None of the things that I've listed save people. Okay? Only Jesus can do that. Just like when they lowered this guy in on the pallet. The pallet was not what saved him. The pallet is what got him there. But I'll bet you that that guy, later on in the day, when he walked out of the house fully healed, thought to himself, I'm glad that pallet was there. I'm glad that they were able to use that to get me to Jesus. And in the same way, look at me, what a cool thing it would be tomorrow or a year from now when you or a friend says, man, I'm glad they had summer camp. I'm glad they had collide. I'm glad they had movie night because Jesus used that night to turn it all around. So do me a solid, those of you who invite people to church, which is probably half of you, I'm ready for that other half to pick it up, but for those of you who invite people to church and it's so discouraging because they keep saying no and they're not listening and it's just like water hitting a rock over and over, look at me, keep going, don't quit, there's still time, and hear this other thing, don't just invite them to collide and summer camp and movie night. Those things are awesome. But if you just do that, like if you just invite them to the big stuff, that's kind of your way of saying, okay, now I've got a real reason for you to go. You kind of, you kind of send this message like, like nights like tonight with just worship and, and, and teaching is, is all right, is, is just not worth it. And listen, the big game nights are awesome. The movie nights are great, and we'll keep doing those things. But um, let me tell you, it's the ordinary nights. In the preaching, in the singing, in the fellowship, it's the ordinary nights that God really begins to build. That God really begins to work. Have you ever, like, you know, you have a lot of boring days, I'm sure, but then you look back after a year of boring days and you think, oh my gosh, I've grown up like 
Look at how much I've changed. Look at how much my life has changed. I didn't even notice this happening to me. That's what it's like in Christianity. God works in this ordinary. That's what makes him so great. He doesn't need a miracle. He works in the ordinary. All right, we beat that to death. Number three, make sure, here it is. So use whatever means you can to get them to Jesus. But number three, this is the big one. Make sure you're actually bringing them to Jesus. Make sure you're bringing them to Jesus. And we get this through verses one through four. I'm going to read verses one through four and replace the word him with Jesus. Because that's who it's talking about. One through four. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that Jesus was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door. And and Jesus was speaking a word to them, and they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus, and when they had dug an opening, they let him down on the pallet with which he was lying. It's pretty clear what the point of those first four verses are, right? Tell what's who's the main character in these four verses? Jesus. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it is. Share the ball, Lauren. Jesus is the main is the main character. He's the point. He's the reason they're doing this. And I think so often we get caught up in like the fun factor of like it's the palate and the lowering him down and what a cool story. But we forget that Jesus is the point. And here's here's why I bring this in. Don't just be content with, well, they're always at Collide. Or they're always at game night. She's a leader of her FCA huddle team. They really like fields of faith. So they must be a Christian. That's not the same thing. They're here every Easter. Well, duh, because we have food every Easter. They must be a believer. Yeah, they're a believer in food. Imagine, here it is. Imagine how ridiculous, all right? So come back to this story. Imagine how ridiculous it would look if they put the guy on the pallet, and instead of bringing him in, they put the guy on the pallet, and they were like, okay, see you, man, and they just leave. That was awesome. What a spiritual experience, putting him on the pallet. You would say, you would look at them and say, you haven't, you haven't brought him to Jesus yet. What do you mean? This isn't cool at all. You haven't brought him to Jesus. But you do the same thing, and I do the same thing when our friends just come to FCA, or they just come to Young Life, or they just come on the nights where we have food. And all those things are fine, but again, imagine this guy just lying on the pallet, not meeting Jesus, just lying on the pallet thinking, this is awesome. He hasn't met Jesus yet. He has no idea what he's missing out on. He has no idea the point of these things. Collide is awesome. Food is awesome. Summer camp is awesome. But it's like the guy lying on the pallet thinking, this is awesome. He hasn't met Jesus yet. And and listen, some of you are, are here, and I'm so glad you're here. But you, you, and like you kind of come off and on sometimes, or I see you at like the big events, and, and there are friends that you can think of that you see at big events where they follow the food. And I'm not trying to hate on, listen, I love food. And I'm not trying to pad my numbers by getting people here. I'm terrible at math. I would, if we had 100 people, I'd still count it wrong. So it, did, what is, it doesn't really help me at all. But listen, listen, they're just like the guy on the pallet. They're just at Winter Jam. They're just at Collide. Just when we've got something extra going on. And they have no idea 
They could be meeting Jesus, having their life altered, having their life changed. Look at me. He's, he's waiting. Some of you are just lying on the pallet and there's Jesus to meet. And some of you know people and you're willing to go the, the mile to get them to the big thing. But when it comes to them getting to know Jesus, we, we pull the plug. We, we, we pedal down a little bit. Make sure it's Jesus that we're actually bringing them to. Last one. Probably most important. Jesus So number four, Jesus wants to save your soul more than anything. Jesus wants to save your soul more than anything. Look at verse five. Verse five. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Here's why this is such a big deal. There are terrible things in this world, right? Get on Twitter for like 11 seconds and you just, you just get so depressed or frustrated or a mixture. Or you get on Facebook and you're like, Mom, please, why did you say that? I really want to preach a social media sermon to parents someday, but not anytime soon because they're paying my salary. Here we go. Ter- there are terrible things in this world, right? Poverty, homelessness, joblessness, painful experiences, abuse. Go here with me. What if you were a victim of these things? Some of you are victims of these things. What if in the middle of that pain, in the middle of the abuse, in the middle of the joblessness, in the middle of the homelessness or the hunger, in the middle of whatever painful experience, and you're just crying out for the pain to stop, Jesus comes to you. The guy who can fix it comes to you. And he looks at you in all your pain. And instead he says, your sins are forgiven. Do you want to take care of this first? You want to take care of the abuse first? The the suffering first? And then we can talk about my sin? That's this guy's situation. Did you catch it in verse 5? And seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He's still paralyzed. In the middle of his suffering, in the middle of his pain, Jesus goes for his soul first. When he does that in your life, when he goes for your soul first, he doesn't end the pain, he goes for your soul first, When he does that, Jesus is not ignoring you. He's not being greedy. He's not trying to cheat you out of something. He's not trying to teach you a lesson. By forgiving his sins first, before he heals him, by forgiving his sins first, Jesus is telling these men and he's telling us, I know something about you that you don't. Listen to this quote. The main problem in a person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. Think about that. Those who suffer from blindness or deafness or they cannot walk or you're in the middle of this horrible breakup or you've got stuff going on at home or there's abuse. Listen again to what this quote says. 
The main problem in a person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. It's not your main problem. It's your sin. And here's why. Now follow, here's the good news. Jesus promises an end to suffering. He promises. One day, and this is where it's just, one day he'll come back, right? One day he'll come back and all the evil that's ever been done to you will end. But it won't just be over. All the evil, all the frustration, all the pain, all the anger, all the suffering, all the forgetfulness, all the heartbreak, it will end, but it won't just end. In His hands and through His power, all the evil that's been done to you will begin to work backwards. All the evil that's been done to you will begin to undo itself and turn to good for you. Think of all the pain that you've been through, and now imagine all that pain gets moved from this end of the scale to this end, and now it's all good. How is He going to do that? I have no idea. I have literally no clue how that will look, how beautiful that will be. But Jesus promises that. He promises that for those who are suffering. Now look at me. He does not promise that to those who are suffering and lost in their sin. So many, it makes me crazy. So many sermons, and you hear it at conferences, you hear it at big Jesus events, you see it on YouTube in big churches and at little churches. Being little doesn't make you holy, being big doesn't make you sinful. It's what you do with the Bible that matters. So many sermons are taught from the perspective of Jesus is here to bring you peace. Jesus can give you purpose. Jesus can take away the hurt. You're a victim. You don't have to be a victim anymore because Jesus is here. There's like a cape and this is ridiculous. Here comes Jesus. Whole churches are built on mission statements like that. Whole conferences are built around mission statements like that. He's just here to make it better. And so... The life of the church screams out to the world, how can we make your life better? How can we make things easier for you? How can we make sure you don't get bothered? Jesus doesn't want to bother you. And listen, those things are not totally wrong, but it's this idea of Jesus has come to make it better, and he's really not that concerned about the sin in your life. But if that's why Jesus came, if Jesus' only aim is to make life more comfortable and less painful, if Jesus' only aim was to make you feel better about yourself, then He would have just healed this man's body and left. But praise God, Jesus doesn't just do that. He doesn't even just heal him. He doesn't even heal him first. Why? Why? Look at me. Because what's wrong with us is way worse than not being able to walk. We are cut off. We are separated. Those who can walk and those who can't. Those who can see and those who can't. Those who can go to the restroom without help and those who can't. 
are all separated from God eternally, forever. And listen, suffering is terrible. But whether you have or haven't suffered, sin separates you. This man is suffering physically. And Jesus says to him, listen, Jesus says to him, I know you're suffering, and I'm going to get to that. But before you need to walk, you need me. Think about not being able to walk. Having to be carried everywhere. Not being able to tie your shoes. Not being able to to pull your legs up. Not being able to help your family. Not being able to have a family. And, And every time you get on Instagram, every time you get on social media, you see people who are complaining about their lives while they're standing and complaining about their lives. And, you, and it just digs into your skin like cancer. Jesus comes to this man and says, before you need that, before you need that dealt with, you need me. He wants to heal your soul more than anything. More than he wants you to be comfortable. More than he wants you to be well rested. More than he wants you to have your ideal wedding or get the good grades. And some of those things you want real bad. But his love goes deeper than our limited desires. Even when those desires feel like everything. Imagine not being able to walk. How badly you would want to. It would feel like everything. And Jesus is saying, you have a deeper, more pressing, more urgent need You need to be declared innocent by my Father in heaven. And I'm the only one who can do that. Jesus is telling this man, he's telling his friends, the crowd watching and the crowd listening 2,000 years later, before you need anything, you need me. This is the message of the ministry that we will have in this building. We will have fun, we will have food, we will have games, there will be property damage, we will have a blast. Do not take the roof off though, okay? It's going to be horrible. But we will do all of these things and we will remember, listen to me, we will do all of those things and we will also remember that before we need any of that, we need Jesus. And that will be the banner that hangs above this building. That will be the, the sign to the watching world for us. And for some of you, you listen, all right, we're done. Notes are over here. I'm over here. Some of you, you don't, you don't just need him. You want him. You want him more than you want the good grades so you can go to the good school. You want him more than you want to get out of here and go to a good party school. You want him more than you want a boyfriend. You want him more than you want a girlfriend. You want him more than you want to leave Rome. I can't wait to get out of here. You want him more than that. You want him more than you want to stay in Rome. And you just don't see it. You think that all these things that you want, these things that you look at at the search tab on Instagram and you love looking at, these things that you can't get out of your head, you think that's the end of the road, but all of those things are windows with which you look through and He is waiting on the other side. Why, you know, you think about how you crave these things. Why does your heart do that? Why does your heart crave things? Why is it that your heart has something that if I just had it, things would be better? They just would. 
Why is your heart built that way? Because something happened thousands of years ago. Something got, when, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, something got cut that has not been able to get put back together yet. And Jesus is saying, before you need to walk, before you need the girlfriend, before you need the grades and the accomplishment, something else has to get fixed. Something else has to get retied. And I'm the only one that can do it. You don't just need Him. You actually actually do want Him. He's beneath that thing that you can't live without. There's a person down there. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will help you see it. Let's pray together.